Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James and thanks for joining me here today. In this episode, I'm interviewing my coach, my mentor, the guy who inspired me to transform my health, my relationship, my business, uh, and has supported me massively over the last 18 months, two years. Of course, it's been a bumpy road with pandemic and all. Um, So Jeff Mask helps CEOs to confidently grow their business without losing sight of their priorities or without losing their soul. So Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Nick. I'm so excited to be here. Hello, everybody. Although no one can say hello back, but hello. (laughs) Maybe they're driving along in their cars or in the gym saying, hello, Jeff. Um, So first up, why, why is it important? Why is it important for you? Like, you're not just a business coach. You're not just somebody that helps executives to perform better in their roles. You specifically have made a point of helping CEOs confidently grow their business without losing their priorities or losing their soul. Why is that so important, do you think? Wow. How long do you have? Um, All the time believe, in the world. We right, the world. right. That's true. That's true. I, I believe this is my life's work and my life's mission outside of my family. And here's why. I believe too many businesses are succeeding in spite of families, in spite of a healthy harmony in life. And businesses I've seen can consume our thoughts, our words, our actions, our emotions, everything. And there's just more to life than just growing a great business and empire. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the only thing there is, we end up getting to a ripe old age of feeling lonely, of feeling miserable of feeling empty because we don't have the fulfilling connections and the legacy that we once started off to create in the first place. It's also personal for me because I have seen many friends, uh, some family grow the business at the expense of their livelihood, of their, of their priorities, of their happiness, of their soul, as I say, kind of tongue in cheek, but, but literally um, sometimes that, it's just not worth it. And I love doing what I'm doing to help CEOs wake up and see a, a different way of thinking and a different way of behaving. It's super, super personal for me. I'll go into more detail as we continue as to why, but that's the medium length answer. <laughs> Thanks. So, so I think, um, and by the way, a lot of what you said there certainly resonates with me. And of course, Um, you know, you and I uh, have been working together. You've been coaching me for, I'm going to say it's somewhere between 18 months and two years. I think in the summer, it will be two years. Um, And actually one of the big things for me, as you know, and those that have listened to the podcast for a while will will know my story, you know, in in 2015, I'd built with a partner, quite a successful business, multi seven figures, 20 employees. Um, And, you know, for various reasons that, partnership ended and I found myself actually in a very um I don't exaggerate when I say a dark place where I'd kind of I felt that when I'd lost that that role in that business as you know a a co-founder of a multi-seven-figure business and loads of clients and 
you know, a, a team that we led and managed. When that was taken away, I, I'd kind of lost my identity. And I think one of the things that that was, um, and it's a shame, of course, Jeff, that we didn't start working together sooner because it would have saved me a lot of pain. But um, one of the things that really became apparent in the very early stages of us working together was I had to find a way to separate the two. I had to find a way to separate. And by the way, at the point when we were talking about this, it wasn't causing me a problem. But what I realized was the reason it had caused me such a problem before um, was because my identity was so intrinsically linked to the success or failure of the business, which means when the business succeeded, I felt great about myself. And when the business didn't, as it didn't in 2015, that was part of the reason why we parted company, I felt like my self-esteem went through the floor. My self-worth dropped significantly. So, um, yeah, maybe just just share your thoughts around this this um, dynamic of having identity and self-worth linked to business success and why is that such a problem for so many business owners and CEOs? Yeah, I'd love to. I love it. I love your candor. I love your authenticity. It's amazing. I think it's why so many people love listening to you. I don't think we talk about the dark side of entrepreneurship enough, candidly. I think it's very easy to look at the glitz and the glamour and all of the successes of other people and to th- assume and think, am I the only one that's crazy? Am I the only one that's really going through this roller coaster? The answer is no. But too often, we don't talk about the, the difficult parts of, of growing a business. And so that, that's one, one issue. The other issue with the identity is if we can't decouple our personal identity from the business, you, you nailed it. We have a false sense of security and a, and a false sense of identity that doesn't endure. We are way more than our business. We are infinite human beings full of infinite potential. And when we attach our identity to the business, it's, it's in my opinion, short-sighted. I mean, think about it. You're at a cocktail party. And you're just getting to know people back when we used to have cocktail parties. I was going to say, what's that? What is it? I don't understand what you're talking about. It will happen here shortly. I'm confident of it. But, you know, someone asks you, oh, so what do you do? Typically, that's a common question. And it's around your career. What is our knee-jerk response? More often than not, we don't say, I do X, Y, and Z. We say, I am a fill in the blank. There's a problem with that. Our identity subconsciously is tied to what we do. And so often it's, oh, I am an entrepreneur. I am a CEO of this business. I, are you though? Maybe that's part of it, but too often that is our sole identity. So when it goes well, we feel great. When it goes horribly, we, we feel horrible. And it just doesn't need to be that way. There's so much more peace in a sustainable way when we can understand how the business is a means to a bigger end. It isn't the end. It isn't who we are. And when that happens, we lead with more confidence. We lead with more clarity. We lead with more conviction because we understand where our ego is in the picture. The stem of this, the the root issue when our identity becomes the business is ego. And when we don't have a healthy self-awareness of our ego, that's where things can get super dangerous. So I remember when you first shared this with me, like I said, it was, you know, 18 months, two years ago. 
and it, it immediately took me back to that experience in 2015. And and look, clearly, you know, it it was always going to be not a great situation, not a great time. But the conversations we had made me realise why it was so hard for me and why it had such an impact on not just, you know, it didn't just have an impact on my, you know, my finances and, you know, and, and my confidence as far as, you know, building businesses goes, but it, it really affected my self-worth and my, and, and I, there was, like I said, went to, went to quite a dark place. Um, so when I first heard this immediately, I was like, if only I'd known this back then, but I think for the audience, for the people listening to this, they might understand this, they might relate to it. Um, they might resonate with what you're saying. How, like, how do you go about separating the two? Because it's all well and good going theoretically, like we understand, we get it. Yes, having your self-worth, having your um, uh, having your identity intrinsically linked to the success or failure of a business is a recipe for disaster. How do we go about decoupling those two things? Because I think most of the time it, it just, they just naturally sit together. Um, happens by accident. So how do we consciously, deliberately, intentionally separate them? That's, that's a great question because logically people can hear this and say, yeah, that makes sense. But emotionally, exactly, how, how do you actually do it, right? It's so true. What I've found in, in coaching CEOs over the years and, and being in multiple businesses and seeing this firsthand, I think the, the single greatest factor to decoupling your personal identity and the business is understanding your enduring why. When you lose your why, you lose your way. It's the classic cliche, but it's true. And, and if your why is only around the business, that business likely isn't going to be with you until you're 80, 90, 100, whatever. Maybe, maybe you're building a multi-generational business, but even so, it's for a deeper, longer purpose. And so we need to figure out what is that purpose? Why do we exist? For me, it helped me tremendously being diagnosed with cancer at age 26. That, that was a major awakening for me and really shook me to the core to say, why, why am I on this planet? Because I faced death and I had that moment of, well, I had two kids at the time and I thought, I, would, I do not want my wife to have to raise these two kids as a single parent. I don't want my kids to be raised without a dad. And so if I did get a second chance at life, which, which I did, how do I make every day really meaningful and, and truly count? And so one answer number one, find your why. Discover what that looks like. How, how do you know what that purpose is? And then, then that goes into a whole other part. Number, well, how do I find my why? Right? How do I determine that? Right? And there's a whole exercise that I take clients to to help with that. I don't think now is the, quite the time to do that. Maybe it is if you'd like to go there. But find your why. Then as you find your why, what I love to do is think if this were my last day, how would I live it differently? And, you know, when I kissed my kids at night, that night, when I realized I had cancer and I was going under the knife the next day, it really made me question, why do I exist? Why am I here? And if I have, if I'm given another day and I'm blessed with another opportunity to breathe and to serve and to learn and to grow, then how do I make it the most amazing day ever? And the trick is how do you do that consistently? 
right? We, we forget. And the issue is, well, get our why right in front of our face. I have my right here in front of my desk, my picture, who I am, my overall goals that go all the way to eternity, by the way. So I always remind, remind myself, if I'm not there remembering, I forget, I get distracted. We are a distracted um, group of people, these things called humans. We are so easily distracted. So it's always reminding ourselves of our why, living, living to that to our fullest. Then it gets into what I call I am statements that really go deep into who, are, who we are at our core. That helps and we recite those. So those are some tactical ways to, to separate our identity from the business and give ourselves some life and some breath and some purpose. Amazing. Thank you. So um, I want to get into some more business tactical stuff now, if that's okay. So a um, couple of things. First of all, we're kind of do, doing this backwards a bit. So um, first of all, you not all that long ago stepped out of a long and successful corporate career, you might call it, and started a coaching business. And of course, I am a client of said mm-hmm. coaching business. Um, and I know through working with you and being in close proximity to you, I can see the success that you've had in your coaching business in a relatively short period of time. Also, you know, I work with a lot of coaches. I work with like, take this the right way. I must meet hundreds of people a year, hundreds who are trying to do exactly what you've done. And most of them don't get even a small percentage of the success you've had in the time you've had it. So like, what do you think if you were speaking to somebody who was in your shoes a couple of years ago, whatever it was, two and a half years, three years ago, where they've left a corporate career, they want to start a coaching business. They found their why they get excited about making a difference in the world. Um, they want to build their own business uh, and really make an impact. Like how have you gone from, really a standing start as far as your coaching business goes to, you know, phenomenal success. I mean, you know, we don't have to talk numbers here, but let's say, um, I mean, let's just say the fees that I pay, most people would fall off their chair if they heard about that. And I'm not the only one. And, uh, you know, I know many people who are clients of yours, of course, some friends of mine and people that are in the mastermind group that we, that we work with. Um, so like, let's say, you know, the business has, has enjoyed significant financial success in a short period of time. Let's just say that, like, what advice are you giving to people that are starting out in coaching? Um, what did you do that worked and what could they learn from it? Great. Um, I'll address how much you invest with me at a later time. Cause it's, <laughs> you and I both know it's, it's never enough, right? No, just kidding. <laughs> What I do love is how much you always say, man, I invest a lot. But after every coaching session, every time we're with your team, you say, it's worth its weight in gold. I would have paid twice that. Thank you. Wonderful. We'll do, we'll do. <laughs> I mean, we're joking about it, of course, and we always do this, but like, I wouldn't have you on the podcast and I wouldn't right. continue to be a client and renew year on year. And also have you coach some of my senior team and have you facilitate some of our planning meetings if I didn't think it was immensely valuable and recommend friends to come and coach with you, who, by the way, when I told them what the fees were, went, what? (laughs) Um, So that just reinforced to me that it was significant. But the the question is like, how does somebody start a coaching business and 
have such rapid success. It's, it's not normal what you've done in the period of time you've done it. Yeah. Thank you. And, and I'm grateful for it. And it's been an amazing ride. And you, you may or may not be surprised by this. If you're listening, if you're driving a car, if you're out on a walk, if you're in the gym, I really want you to connect to this part right now. Know why you're doing what you're doing. Have a deeper purpose to why, if, if it's coaching, great. If it's building software, great. If it's a healthcare company, whatever it is, if the means, if the end is all about, I want to build this profit and I want to have this lifestyle, it's not sustainable. It, it won't endure through the heartache, through the difficulty, through the darkness, through the depression, all the stuff we don't talk about in entrepreneurship. We have to have a solid why. Know why we're doing what we're doing. Know, understand the purpose of why we're on this earth and why we are building this business. Why does that matter? Because the deeper and more powerful and more personal that why, the more personal confidence and conviction you have to go take on the world and to charge the rates that you may want to charge, to offer the framework you want to offer. There's no doubt. There's no distraction. There's no despair. It's just, this is who I am. And you can stand on your own two feet powerfully. So when I got really clear on why I do what I do, and it's to help CEOs confidently grow so they don't lose their souls or their priorities. Understanding that, that's a deeper purpose. Why? Because I believe that what happens at home and in families is truly fundamental to our societies and our communities. And when we can have healthy, powerful family relationships, our towns, our cities, our, our nations are more powerful. That's a big deal to me. And that gives me the confidence to then know that. So that's number one, know your why. Number two, get very, very clear on who you serve. Especially when you start out, it's so tough to have the discipline to say no to a certain target cu customer who you know probably won't be the best fit, but it's survival. And so you take any money you can because you're trying to pay the bills, right? Uh, but having that discipline and that I'll say it, faith, to know that you can find that right person. And I don't mean faith in a religious sense per se. I mean faith in confidence in the unknown that you know you can accomplish what you need to accomplish. So getting very laser clear on your target, target client, your target customer of who you can serve. Then lastly, a framework that can scale. S something that can enable people to understand, to apply, whether they're at a couple million turnover or a couple billion in turnover, it can be readily available and, and present. So those three things have really helped me to do so. And then with that foundation, all the confidence in the world to say, here's what I do, here's why, figure out what the pains and problems are, and ideally go to ECA to learn how to sell really powerfully. And once you do that, then, you know, sky's the limit. Thanks for the plug. For those listening um, that don't know, ECA is one of my other companies, it's called the Elite Closing Academy. It's uh, the company that I run that trains sales and closing skills. Um, so thanks for the plug, Jeff. Appreciate it. It's a great, it's a great program. Otherwise, I wouldn't plug it. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what's, um, what's interesting, actually, because 
Um, we don't really talk about what, what we're talking about now. I don't think we've ever spoken about before. How did you get started in the coaching business? Because um, that isn't really a conversation that's been that relevant for you and I privately, but I think it's highly relevant for you and I publicly here with um, our audience li- listening to the podcast. And and what I love is actually that what you did is very closely aligned with what I would advise people do when they're, when they're starting out those, those three steps and, I think um, so many people don't do that. They don't get their why clarified from the get-go. They don't then get clear on who their customer is. They don't build a framework that will scale. And these are all things that I suggest people do in the very the very early stages. Um, I, I'm curious, how many of the clients that you got at the start were people that you already had a relationship with? Good question. In the beginning, over 50%. um, But relationship is relative. Some I had known for a decade. Others I had known for six months, right? But, you know, we knew of each other. They knew of my uh, business experience and life experience. And and many... uh, they agreed to have the conversation because of the life that I live and the integrity that I hold to just be who I am in any circle. There, there was something attractive to that to people, which was a great reminder to me to be confidently me and to not put on a facade or pun intended, put on a mask in other circles that, uh, that, you know, might, turn people off because it's, it's tough to really have confidence in someone when you're not really sure who they are and they act differently in different circles. Yeah. That, that raises a really interesting point, which, um, cause by the way, where I was going with that question is I, I believe that most people when they're starting the coaching business or, or, or any business in, in that, in that, for that matter, that can, can actually, um, get their first clients, get their first customers, probably from their existing network or their extended network, you know, tapping into people they know or the people that they know. Um, right. And you said, you know, 50% plus of your initial clientele were people that you already had a pre-existing relationship with. Um, but actually that that raises a more interesting question, I think, um, which isn't just about, the people you knew, but more about how you show up as a person, as a human being. And I think it's a message actually that a lot of a lot of coaches, a lot of speakers, a lot of experts, I often use the phrase, could could do well to listen to because I actually think that when you show up, and we, we talk, of course, in our business, we always talk about showing up at a 10 out of 10. That's how we how we voice it and how we talk about it. And I'm sure the way that you would, you would phrase it would be different, but I'm like, look, if you're a coach or a speaker or any kind of expert and you're not in my words, showing up at a 10 out of 10, no marketing tactic or slick sales presentation is going to help you. And certainly, you know, uh, Jeff, the reason you know, the reason that I decided that you were the right person to coach me was, of course, your experience in business and how you could help me become a better leader and a better CEO. All of those things were true. But there's plenty of other people that I know that have got leadership and CEO experience. But it's how you show up and how you live your life that I went. There's areas of my life that I'm not happy with. 
And I feel like this person has got those areas mastered and that's why I decided to, to hire you to coach me. And so I think everyone should listen to that really and, and really think about it and say, if you are, regardless of what it is you support, you coach, you assist people with, whether it's health, fitness, relationships, building wealth, whether it's growing businesses, whether it's, you know, um, being a better parent, like ask yourself, how well are you showing up doing that in your own life? And I think the best marketing tactic, and it really isn't a marketing tactic you could deploy, is to live that and demonstrate it full tilt. And people will be attracted, agree. People will be totally. magnetically attracted to you. Totally agree. The, the, the way that I describe this principle is a bit atypical. The word for me in this theme is integrity. But when we hear integrity, typically the connotation of integrity is more around honesty right? It's more around just being a trustworthy person. But if you look at the root word of integrity in Latin, it's integer. And integer in math is a whole number. When something is whole, it isn't fractured. It isn't broken. It's complete, right? And so when we are complete and whole with our word, with a capital W, with our being, with how we show up, there's something magnetically attractive to being whole. When there are fissures, when there are holes, when there are incongruencies, our subconscious picks up on those. We know it. Internally, we know it. We know it when we're working with someone who doesn't quite show up and we don't know why. And what, what we say is, I just kind of felt a little off. I, I didn't quite connect with that person. We don't know why. But subconsciously, there's something going on. And more often than not, we're living out of integrity, especially if you're coaching on fitness or finance or, or mental health, and you haven't learned how to become, you know, create the level of mastery in your own life in those areas. How could anybody have the confidence to, you know, receive coaching from you? That doesn't mean perfection. Don't get me wrong. But it means the intent and the, and the integrity to do so. And if and when we mess up, because we do, because we're human. We have the humility to acknowledge it, to address it, to solve it, and to get back up and keep solving and keep getting better. Yeah, I love that. And I think, you, you know, you use the word integrity, which I understand exactly where you're coming from with that. You also use the word incongruent when people are maybe out of integrity with their, the way they're living their life is out of alignment with their message. And I think right. you know, using the word congruence or incongruent might be another way to think about mm -hmm. that. But I think, I think it's under, you know, and of course there's nothing wrong with this. So many of our podcast episodes are about marketing tactics and how you can create more, more, uh, you know, build your business and, and gain more clients and more customers. But actually this bit is crucial because like I said before, the best marketing strategy or tactics in the world won't help you if you're fundamentally living a life that is out of integrity with the marketing message. Um, and by the way, like that also means that you don't need to be perfect to everything. Right. Like maybe the marketing message is actually, hey, you want to learn about X? I'm your guy or I'm your girl. You want to learn about Y? Go find somebody else because I have lots of development to do in that area. Like I think that is actually a very powerful message as well. But I think we think... We see some people, uh, you know, like and how they how they present themselves and how they market their businesses, and 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 actually, it's like this this image of perfection, and and 
we think we need to be perfect and you don't, you've just got to be right. in integrity. I think that's a, a brilliant way to, to think of it. So, um, so thank you for that. So, so I want to, I want to change direction slightly and, and actually look back, you know, you, you and I have known each other for, I'm going to say it's probably kicking on for a decade, actually. Uh, I think we probably met in 2011. It was probably early on in my business career. And you were part of a company, a big part of a company that went from a couple of million a year in revenue to over a hundred million a year in revenue. So you've seen like the journey, the growth. And so I guess my question is, what do you see having been such an integral part of the growth of that business? What do you see as the big differences between maybe um, a six figure business a seven-figure business, an eight-figure business. Of course, you've been involved in a nine-figure business. What do you see as the big differences along that journey? Wow. Um, so many differences, actually. Um, very much of it has to do with mindset. Surprise, surprise. How we think, and, and, and very often there are ceilings that we're putting on, our, on ourselves unintentionally of what we're capable of and where we're going. Again, going back to our why. And, and the impact we want to make. And so thinking along the evolution of a growth cycle, in my opinion, has to evolve and has to grow and expand. Otherwise, your limiting beliefs will cap you. You can only grow as big and, and as fast as you as the CEO are capable of growing the company, number one. Number two, a large difference between you know a six and seven figure business and even an eight figure business versus a nine and 10 and 11 figure business. Even earlier in my career, I was with a Fortune 11 company, Fortune, Fortune 10 company. We were you know, top in the world for so many things. And I learned so much greatness from, from that element of business. But I learned there are some patterns. Um, one, at the ones and threes, know that there are natural ceilings that occur. So at a million, 3 million, 10 million, 30 million, 100 million, continue on 300 million, a billion, it keeps going. For some reason, there is this unwritten rule that there are growth inhibitors that come at those stages. And by, and, and by the way, the, the, um, what was interesting, I remember when you first told me about the ones and threes, um, and it, 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 all of a sudden, what I'd been through on my journey of growing businesses made a lot more sense. Right. Um, and actually, I, th I think I've really thought about this. And, you know, you say, you know, a million and three million. I actually think it even starts small than that. I think the ones and threes applies when you're generating 30,000 30, yes. a year. Yes. 30,000 yes. a year is like a freelancer and yes. 100,000 a year and 300,000 a year and a million. Yes. I think it's it's true all the way through. The, the business model, the structure is fundamentally different at each stage. Agreed. Um, and of course, um, what I often say is what got you here won't get you there. So the exactly. model that got you to, let's say you listen to this and you're freelancing and you're 30,000 a year or 100,000 a year or 300,000 a year, the, the, the structure you have in place for your business right now got you this far, great, but it probably will restrict you and hold you back from the next phase. And, and I think the ones and threes, um, I don't know where that comes from. I've actually never, uh, I've only ever heard it from you, Jeff, and I've heard a lot of people talk about similar things, but never explain it in that way. 
Yeah, there, there isn't a lot written on it. That's why it's a little complex. And you have to kind of be in, learn from the hard knocks of business long enough to know there's something about that. And the longer you're in business, the more you see that pattern. And, and some may say, well, it's just because you're looking for it. No, even when I'm not, I, I just see it. And when I talk to somebody and I hear their pains and their frustrations of what's going on in their business, they don't have to tell me their, their annual turnover. They don't have to tell me the number of employees. I can tell them. Yeah. I can just say, let me guess, you're probably around here in, in annual turnover. You're probably around here in number of employees. And they look at me like I'm some, you know, like I have a crystal ball. And it's like, right. no, there's just patterns that you start to see. So to now to more directly answer the question, here's, here are the, the differences that occur when you're scaling. It, the constraints go from time to salesmanship, to marketing and service in the earlier stages, learning how to master those skills, get you to about the million dollar mark or so. But when you try to scale beyond that, your marketing and sales and service prowess and, and mastery can only go so far and you start to stunt your growth. You have to then learn how to relinquish control as the CEO or really as the entrepreneur to become the CEO to get people in a place of how do they see the vision that I see? How do I cast that vision in a way that people can understand can articulate, can personalize, and then teach that. Then as you set that vision, how do you then make sure people that are joining the company understand the vision? Then how do you stay disciplined over time to do what's most strategic for your business so that you don't have the shiny object syndrome and continue to go what you did You know, when you're earlier starting on? You have the ability to pivot and flex all the time, but that doesn't sustain over time. Continual momentum is built from discipline and from understanding how to cast that vision, how to hire to that vision, then how to lead to that vision in a way that other people become more, more capable, more skilled, more specialized than you. And having the humility as the leader to let that be a great accomplishment versus something that scares you or challenges your, 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 your value. So in essence, succinctly put, it's going from thinking as an individual to thinking in for many, many people and aligning hearts and minds to a, a common vision that everybody can buy into and can continue to sustain and grow whether you're there or not. Wow. Very good. Very good answer. Um, yeah. And, and I think um, something that just was triggered in my mind as you were speaking, Jeff, is that um, I was having a conversation with, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Ryan Dice, uh, a few weeks back. And he said something I'd actually never heard before. Um, or if I had heard it, I needed to hear it again because it resonated with me. And that was the growing business. And, and when I think of the growth phase, I'm thinking at the kind of get into seven figures, you know, uh, like in that phase of business, it really is It's about hiring um, and leading people that can, counterbalance your weaknesses so like let's say you're brilliant at marketing and not so good at organizational structure and and maybe not so good at sales like hiring people to fill those gaps is the secret to getting growth to like seven figures but then he said scaling the business which is the next phase really is actually about hiring for your strengths it's about being humble enough to step out of the thing that you're world class at 
and let somebody else do it. And in some cases, find somebody who can do it better than you can, um, which takes a great degree of humility because it's, and by the way, this comes back to our first conversation, which is if your self-worth, if your identity is intrinsically linked to the business, the success of the business, the failure of the business, your role in the business, it's going to be very difficult for you to have that humility and step out of the role. So, um, yeah, I remember Ryan said that to, to me a few weeks back and it really resonated with me. I think that's that's a significant shift in thinking between being in what I call the growth phase where you're probably somewhere, you know, in my client base, you know, I, I class someone in the growth phase if they're, you know, somewhere between 100,000 a year in revenue and a million a year in revenue. But then if you're going to jump from seven figures to multi-seven figures, maybe to eight figures plus it is about hiring, training, leading in all areas, even the areas that you're world-class at, you, you right. step out of them, you delegate, you let somebody else take the lead on them. And that's hard. It's the hardest place to let go of control is the place where you're naturally gifted and skilled. Definitely. Especially when you have literally suffered blood, sweat, and tears to get to where you are. Yes. And, and you know, you remember those dark days of starting and you, you remember what it felt like to think, I don't know if I can survive. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't. And just the turmoil of that, when you finally overcome that, that's why it's so hard to let go because you feel like you might revert back to those stages. And that is painful. There's trauma there. And if you look at the statistics of growth, only three in a hundred businesses that are started, make it past a million in turnover. And only one in 300 make it past 10 million. Neither of those numbers are very high. Why? First one, we, we haven't mastered marketing and selling and serving. Mm-hmm. But the, the second one, to get past the 10 million, we haven't mastered humility. And learning how to get our ego out of the way and to enroll wonderful people that are brighter, that are better, that are more capable than we are, in, in many respects, to just humbly ask for help and enroll them. You still lead, you still do what you do, but you don't do it the same way. And your identity is not attached to being the best marketer in the world, to be the best salesperson in the world, to be the best product creator in the world. It's about a greater good and a bigger pe- purpose and a deeper why that enables us to step back and then enroll other people. Amazing. So, um, we started off talking about, um, we've kind of looped back in some, in some ways, I suppose, about the importance of separating your identity and the business and, and your self-worth. Um, a, lot of, a lot of what we've spoken about, Jeff, over the last 18 months, two years, has been about, um, it's widely used the term balance, creating work-life balance, creating balance between business and personal life. I know you, you don't really use the word balance. You tend to use the word harmony. And I think that's um, subtle, but quite important, the distinctions. So f- first of all, why do you use the word harmony instead of balance? And secondly, like, what are some thoughts you've got on the best ways to create that harmony? Oh, man, I love this topic. I believe balance doesn't work and has never worked. And I believe balance is a fallacy. We're... we're constantly out of balance, whether we're, you know, with, if we're really, really working hard in the business or on the business and we have family, we're not with our family. It's not in balance. Right. 
And I, I, I understand I'm taking the word to an extreme, but I'm doing so purposely because I think too often when we're trying to find this quote unquote work-life balance, we end up becoming very masochistic and very hard on ourselves because we just can't ever feel in balance. So I, I, I reframe it to harmony because one, I love music and I love, I love what harmony can do in music when you have multiple notes in a chord, how that resonates deep down in my soul. You musicians out there, music, music aficionados, you know what I'm talking about. When you hear a piece of music, whether it's rock or classical, it doesn't matter. It just delivers. It hits right. You know what I mean. And for harmony to work, every note has to know their place, their timing. If they're a little sharp or a little flat, it, it breaks. How do you know if you're on the right, if you're on the right note? You are literally on the same page of music. So if you take that analogy to the next level and say, all right, if I've got a four, four part harmony, then one of the notes is my work, one of the notes is my family, one of the notes is my uh, physical, uh, one of them is emotional, whatever you want to do and categorize, what are your notes? When we are all on the same page, we know when we're singing, when we're playing. But when we don't have that piece of music together, harmony and the chord can't, be, can't strike. Here's, here's a classic example. If I have made the personal commitment that on Thursdays, I'm going to take my son to football practice, let's say, and I have to leave my computer or the office, depending on what stage of life we're in with, with business, at say 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And I do that consistently every Thursday. And my team tries to get a hold of me 3.30 every Thursday and can't. What might that communicate to my team if I'm just MIA? Well, I'm checked out. What were you, were you going to say something, Nick? Yeah, I was going to say that, that, that they're not important or that the business isn't that important or that you don't care or some of those things, yeah. Or you're better than them because you're the leader, so you have the flexibility to do what you want to do, right? There's, there's all sorts of data that we put into our minds when we don't have the full story that makes perfect, perfect logical sense. Well, what if we get on the same page and I communicate to the team, hey, team, I've committed to my family that on Thursdays at 3 p.m., I'm trying to be a better dad and I want to be at my son's football. Guess what happens at 2.45 every Thursday? Your team is pushing you out. Yeah. They're saying, hey, remember, remember, now they're on the same page and the harmony strikes, you feel it. But it's all about communication being on the same page. That's why I love that analogy. There's so many different angles to that. But when we do that, it just comes down to setting our priorities and communicating them. Then conversely, if I have a big launch and I know I'm going to be late for the next couple nights or I have a big event, I communicate to my family beforehand, hey, I have these things, just want you guys to know, I won't be able to be there at bedtime, I'm sorry, when I come back, and then they know, they understand, if I don't communicate that to them, what do my kids think? Work is always more important than me. But it's all about communication and being on that page of music, if you will. I love that analogy. And it, it really pushes me to be highly integrous with my word when I communicate this way. And if and when I mess up, because I do, and we all will, we get back on that page and we ask for forgiveness because sometimes that's necessary and we, and we march on. So that's why I love the difference between work-life harmony versus work-life balance. Yeah, it's great. So I love the analogy. Um, I've never, I've heard you talk about work-life harmony so much and, and never, you've never given me that level of insight as to 
the analogy with the music and, and actually it really is, it is a communication thing. And I know this is something that you and I've worked on a lot and I'm working on a lot with my team, with my family, like almost over communicating because I think oftentimes we under communicate massively. Um, so, so look, I mean, as I introduced you, you're my coach, you're my mentor in, in many different areas, primarily business, but many different areas of life. Um, who inspires you? Who mentors you? Mm, I love it. Um, one person that inspires me is a coach who put it in my brain in 2007 that I would be a coach. His name is Steve Hardison. I love him. Great, great person, great individual. Um, when he started coaching actually with my brother, who is the CEO of the company, when that first coaching session happened, it struck a chord in me and I knew I would coach someday. I just, I felt it. And I said that to my brother in the moment. I said it to my wife, Sherry, that, that night. And I knew it was true. So he, he inspires me. I love his content. I love what he does. Um, spiritually and religiously, Jesus Christ inspires me. And that, that may turn a lot of people off. That's totally fine to each their own. I don't judge people what they, what they believe or not. But for me, you ask the question, I can't not say that. He just, yeah. I, love, I love studying his life. I love seeing how he, how he led. I love seeing how he thought. I love seeing how he taught. And I like to emulate that. Um, I probably should have started there. He, he's probably my greatest inspiration. And, yeah, and so Steve, a, number one, yeah. <laughs> Steve, number two. Steve, man, you got a big reputation. Um, I don't even know Steve, but he's got a big reputation. So, um, and by the way, I'm, I'm really pleased you shared that because it's it's your truth. It's your answer. And, right. and of course, you and I have spoken about this a lot. You know, you and I have very different beliefs and um, different priorities when it comes to spirituality and religion. And, and like, I think it, it's cool that, like, you can acknowledge and appreciate my perspective and my priorities in that area and, and my beliefs in that area. And I can totally respect and appreciate yours. And, and it doesn't matter that they're different. Um, Agreed. So what I'm I like to say is the answer and, and you, you kind of said, Oh, you know, that turns people off. I'm like, look, if, if, by the way, if there was any part of you that heard that, I went, Ooh, like just ask yourself why you responded that way. Like what meaning did you attach to that? That made you respond that way? Cause the truth is like, it doesn't matter. Um, the fact is, you know, whoever inspires Jeff and who he looks up to and follows is it works for him and same for me. And we have different perspectives on it. Um, and in fact, you know, it's been, it's been a real blessing for me. Um, you know, and we have, we kind of joked about it and talked about it a lot, especially in the early days of our coaching relationship. Um, you know, that I'm, I'm not a um, religious person. I don't go to church, you know, I don't, and just because of that doesn't mean that I can't learn a lot via right. Jeff through Jeff um, about spirituality. And, and so I think it's um, yeah, I just invite people to maybe these last couple of minutes we've been talking about this, just to, to kind of focus internally and ask yourself, how did that feel and why did it feel that way for you? Um, and maybe you just went, yes, Jeff, you know, I totally get it. You know, <laughs> I, you know I, I, I admire and learn a lot from Jesus Christ as well. And maybe you didn't. And I think, you know, there's, yeah. there's certainly no, and um, what I love most about you, Jeff, is you, you're totally non-judgmental and non, like you don't have any rule that says people have to believe what you believe or not, which I think is right. 
really, really great. Um, I'm glad you said that because here's what I like to say in this topic, more love, less judgment. Yes. This, an abundance of love. The more that we can learn how to love each other, the less we're going to judge. We don't have to put them up to, well, you're not doing this and this is right. Well, stop, stop judging. Like what, what's going on in our inside that's making us get so antsy. And our world over the last 12 months has really got very divisive and it's just not healthy, not helpful and more love, less judgment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've just, um, of course, just in the last week, depending on when you listen to this, of course, um, cause it will be released probably a week and a bit from now, but we just had the, um, Meghan Markle and, Prince Harry interview air in the UK. And I know it's yes. been in the US as well, because obviously it was aired there with uh, Oprah doing the interview. And all I'm seeing is judgment. All I'm seeing yeah. is judgment. And, and uh, you know, it's, I suppose it's almost like natural instinct to, to judge. And what I really tried to do was like watch it and not be judgmental. I was like, so how about if we could just see the best in these two people? And how about if we could see the best in the family they've been they've been in? And how about we see the best in the person doing the interview and just see the best in them? And, right. and wonder how that feels differently. But I, I think a lot of the negativity that it's created has just been caused by that one word that you've highlighted, which is which is judgment. Yep. Agreed. Um, Very much that, so. This wasn't where I was expecting the interview to go at all, but these are always the best interviews when they go off on a tangent <laughs> we're not expecting. Agreed. I've got one final question for you. You, you. you mentioned earlier that, you know, you've got um, goals, intentions set from now, and your words were to eternity. Um, so, like, what's next for you? Like, where, where do you see yourself, your life, your business going in the next five years, 10 years? Oh, I love that question. Um, so I'm a I'm happily married for 21 years, um, and happily doesn't come by chance. By the way, lots of work uh, at our 18th anniversary. In fact, uh, my wife turned to me and said, "I can't even tell you that I love you, let alone that I like you right now." And she was totally serious. It was it was a rough rough patch in our marriage. Oh, we just, just relocated. You do realize that people actually listen to this podcast, don't you? Definitely, definitely, and, and I want them. I want them to hear it <laughs> because people can hear. Oh, you know, your life is so perfect, and I wish my. No, everyone has challenges. It's okay. It's how we work through them in our mindset. So, after twenty-one years of marriage, um, three, four kids, um, an eighteen-year-old, fifteen-year-old, thirteen-year-old, and eleven-year-old. The next five years is helping them become independent, powerful. Um, beautiful human beings and adults that that's really my my motive and what i'm what sherry and i are working on to help them become independent and powerful and peaceful and humble and and believers in christ and followers of him in the way they choose to and letting them come to that versus being forced at that that's a big big change and i shouldn't say change a big need i think that needs to be changed a lot often because i think a lot of things are forced that's the personal side. On the business side, I don't aspire to grow a, a multi 10, 11, 12 figure empire. Why? Because when I was 19 years old, I lived in Argentina for two years. I was in Buenos Aires. I was in some of the most impoverished places I'd ever been in. And I found myself in a deep way. This is where I got to know Christ really well. And I loved it. And I shared his message. 
And it inspired me so much that I, that I said to myself, when I'm married and when my kids are grown, I'm going to do this again. And my wife was also doing the same thing in Barcelona, Spain, and she felt the same thing. And so when we met and had that connection, we want to spread love and life to people around the world. And so my business is just a means to an end to finance the ability to bless people's lives. And so my card that I have here, I'll show you on video, Nick, because you can see it, but I've talked with you about this. It says it's broken up in five and 10 year chunks and just says by this year, we'll, we'll do this with finances by this year, we'll do this and, and just goes up, 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 up down the line all the way to beyond my death so that I know very clearly why I'm living and what happens and everything that I do, I, I filter through that lens so that I'm staying super relevant and powerful to why I exist versus getting distracted, getting all sorts of shiny object syndromes and things that can occur. So that that's a, it's very personal, but it's so fun because it's so meaningful for me and everything becomes a blessing and an opportunity because it's helping me get to the bigger picture of where I want to go and living my purpose in life. So yeah, that's uh, that's it. Simply put, raise my kids in a healthy, happy way, serve missions for my church, bless people's lives in the best way that I can, help them to find happiness in their way and live in a way that makes my wife, makes it very, very easy for my wife to love me. That's, that's my goal. Very nice. And, and what I love about that is that there's, there's no rule that says that in order to have meaning, you have to have a eight figure, nine figure business. There's no rule that says that's the case and you got to do you and you've got to do what's right for you. And I love that you've, um, that you don't have a rule that says that that is what success looks like or what it's defined by. You've got your own version of it. So um, thank you for sharing so um, openly and candidly as I knew you would here. Um, and thank you for being, uh, thank you for coaching me and supporting me in the building of my empire uh, and of becoming a better husband, dad, man, leader, all of the things that we've, we've spoken about a lot over the last couple of years. Um, Jeff Mask, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And Nick, to close, thank you. And everyone that's listening, thanks you, seriously. And when you're in your own mind, you think, well, you know, what have I done? Well, I'll tell you what you do. You inspire people around the world and you help them become better and you give them content and opportunities to say, I can do it. I, I got this. And everyone that's listening right now, let's do, let's do Nick a favor, although he won't like this. I don't really care. Let's send him some token of gratitude, a text, a tweet, a like, a comment, something to just pour back to Nick and the Expert Empires team. Seriously, what you're doing, Nick, is life-changing. It is. It's why I love working with you. I love learning from you. You inspire me every time we're connecting. So thank you sincerely. I love you and I'm grateful for you and everyone listening. Let's, let's give Nick a huge shout out and a huge thank you. <laughs> Very nice. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks everyone for listening. See you soon. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Empire Builders. Please subscribe, leave us a review on Apple, on Spotify, on other platforms, and uh, share the love, tell your friends. Remember, till next time, the more you connect, the more you collect.